is this morning that you leave this place knowing that God talked to you, that your life is different as a result, because that should become a daily, a daily thing for us. That we're just living in that. The, 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 the reality is it doesn't always happen. The reality is we get real busy. The reality is we don't stop long enough to just sit and, and take some time to just um, ponder Him, to remember to be thankful, to just be open, to say, okay, God, I'm living my life for you. What do you want from me today? Uh, my, my mother-in-law has a plaque there. It just says, just be, be silent that you might hear the whisper of God. Last week we ended, I believe, with the thought of, of saying that the Holy Spirit talks to us very simply, and oftentimes it's not even a word. It's more like a... <clears throat> You know, like a parent corrects their child in a, in a public place. It's like, <clears throat> yeah, that's not, that's not, uh, you know, that's not what we wear. That's not how we do. That's not, that's, that's not, uh, that's not on the sign, right? So um, that, uh, that thought this morning, it may be very simple and very, very small. Um, even as I was doing my devotions this morning, just reading again about what it is to be a disciple, I just got that <clears throat> inside. And realizing that, you know, our lives it's our lives. It's not our Sundays. It's not our Saturdays. That's not church. It's our lives. It's the, the everyday. And what does that look like? And, and in my own life, the same thing. What does it look like um, uh, each and every day to be a follower, a genuine follower of Jesus Christ? And it starts with that idea of, okay, God, lead me. Be king of my heart. We'll get, we'll get to there in a bit. But this morning, if you, if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 5. We are, what is that? Oh, oh man. <laughs> I, I was actually that was just test. I was just testing you. You you passed. Good job. Turn to uh, t- yeah. We're just done with Ephesians. Let's go to Galatians. Uh, Ephesians chapter five verse one. Oh man. All right. It's one of those one of those mornings. Uh, I, I hope you hear him and not me. All right. So uh, Ephesians chapter five. We've been uh, we've been going through the book of Ephesians. If you've been with us for the for the duration, you've been here a while because uh, we've been doing this for 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 quite some time. Uh, and just seeing what God would say to one church um, through a letter. It wasn't written in chapters and verses. It was one letter, uh, which just says that what we're looking at now ties in with what we talked about last week. It, Paul's thoughts were just continuing. But he wrote it to this, this area, and from that area, that letter would go around to other churches like, like here. Just bunches of people got together, and they would read the whole thing. And then they would send it on down to the next one, maybe next door. And then they would read the whole thing. And eventually it passed on and on and on, and it's been preserved through time until it got to us. So this morning as well, there's something that God, his desire is for the church to hear, not just simply for um, the, the, just the churches around Ephesus. Uh, and the reason I mention that today is some stuff that's very um, specific to the churches around Ephesus, and you'll see that in a bit. But there's something that we can take from it as well. So last week we talked about what, um, how you walk and what you wear. Today I want to talk about how you smell and how you shine. Uh, I, I realized, yeah, how you smell and how you shine. Last, uh, last night, we only got as far as how you smell, so we might only do that today too. But how you smell and, and how you shine. Uh, I, I want to share with a couple, a couple of verses and a couple of stories and then uh, give you something to take home and, and, and do. So in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, if you're reading with me there, do you got your Bible? Hold it up if you got it. Yeah? Beauty? Yeah, good, good. More and more. I, I like it. Ephesians chapter 5, it says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. We're just going to stop right there because that verse is just loaded with stuff. And you're like, what? Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. We could just keep right on going, Mark. This is going to take forever if you keep stopping like, after like eight words. But it says this, be imitators of God. Um, in the New Living Translation, which we normally use, it says this, be imitators of God in everything. Be imitators of God in everything you do because you are his dear children. That idea of just being God's kids. Ah, Chris, thank you so much for sharing the way you shared that this morning. Of It's just dad. 
hey, you know what, here I am. That, that response even, uh, again, just lit up something inside of me of, wow, yeah, dad. Uh, he calls you his kids. There are things that you have, and Ephesians has tried to share that with you for three, four chapters of this is who you are as his kid. Uh, and remembering that today, that I'm his kid. So yeah, dad, I'm reaching out for you because I'm your kid. He says this to, to them. He says, imitate, imitate, um, or be imitators of God in everything. Imitate God. And the, the word imitate, it's, it really means follow or copy, mimic, um, uh, model, emulate. We have a yeah, there you go. You know, that's, the, uh, that's kind of the idea of, of doing what you see. Do you, do you, uh, parents, do, you, do any of you have your kids that mimic you? They do things that you do. And uh, you know what's worse is when it's verbal. Uh, you know, my, my seven-year-old daughter, she, um, she mimics the way that sometimes that I talk to my wife that I'm just really not proud of. Uh, and, and I'll know. So I'll, I'll be saying to Beth, I'll be like a little angry or whatever. Like, where's my sunglasses? And she'd be like, Beth, where's my sunglasses? I'm like... I can't really be mad at her because I'm the one doing something I shouldn't be doing. And I was like, oh, you know. And, and then in, we realized that that mimicking just passes on down. Uh, my son Maddox, he, he has to do everything himself. So, I mean, if, he's, if, you, if you've put clothes on him once, he's going to do it from now on. He has to, he's got to brush his teeth. He's got to make my coffee, which is great. He's two, so he, uh, but he does. He knows how to push the buttons on the Keurig. And I'm not that kid. He's just, he's gifted. But uh, he's... Um, he, he's so in this idea of we can't even teach our younger son, Finley, anything because he has to do it. So he's learned and he will teach. So we want to teach our children how to pray. So we'll, we'll be like, we had taught him, hey, Max, here, just say, you know, dear God. And he'd say, dear God. And, you know, you pray, thank you for this day. And thank you for my awesome dad and my wonderful mom. And he'll, he'll pray that out. But then we try and teach Finley, who's one. Hey, Finn, here's, you know, say, dear God. And Max would be like, no, I'm going to teach him. And so now we have to do the mimicking process all the way down. So we say, Max, pray, dear God. And he's like, Finn, dear God, dear God. And he's like, thank you for this food. Thank you for this food. Thank food. You know, and it goes, goes on down. It's just, it's this cutest thing. But realize at the age of one, they're already mimicking and imitating someone. Uh, and so it won't be too long before... I know um, Finley's going to be, you know, I- imitating things. And even us, I see it already. Like every once in a while, Maddox, because he has to try to do everything, every once in a while he needs a little pinch just to remind him of the fact that, that I'm dad and that you need discipline and, you know, not, not beating our children or, you know, anything like that. But that, that realization, so we'd be like, it, all it takes is, you know, he's pulling pots and pans. I was like, do you need a pinch? No. And then he'll see how far he can go before I, I'll catch him or put the, put the things back in. But Finn will just take a pot out of there and, and say, need pinch? And we're not even there. We just hear him on the other side, need pinch, need pinch. He come around like, oh, man. So that's what it looks like to my one-year-old, right? This, this idea. But I, I'm like, oh, man, this is terrible. But I'm just reaping what I sowed because I used to do this to my parents too. Um, you know, my dad, he always tell the story. You know, anytime we wouldn't finish our food. Well, when I was a kid, I only got half an apple to school. And because we only had half, we ate the whole quart and we liked it. And, and I was like, okay, dad, fine. When I was a little kid, I was like, all right. Wow, dad ate the core. That's awesome. I'm going to do that too. And I would eat the apple and the core, the seeds and everything. I don't know if that's dangerous or what. But, but I didn't like it, but I faked it, right? So um, just to honor dad. But as I got older, I realized that's dumb. You know, you don't eat the core. So, uh, you know, dad would go down his stories of, hey, you know, when I was your age, and be like, we know, dad. When, we, when you were our age, you had half an apple of school, and we just play it up, right? And he would look at us like, oh, you know, like, okay, okay. I guess I've said this too many times. Uh, and then the other one always said was, you know, when you grow up and have your own house, you can do whatever you want. But as long as you're in my house, you got to follow. Oh, yeah. You, my dad lived in your house, too. Right. So... <laughs> 
You know that. And if you're a teenager, you're like sitting here going, yeah, man, that's me. And they hate it. It's just like, it just doesn't make sense. They're so old fashioned. They don't get it. I got good news for you. If you, if you honor your parents, as the Lord says, your life will be long. So you will eventually grow up and have your own house. And when you do, you get to turn it back on them. When my dad comes to visit now, I get to say that. Dad, I grew up and I have my own house now. And now that you're in my house, you'll obey my rules. You'll have only one Keurig and the rest of it, well, here's half an apple, right? So uh, it's, it's this idea of, you know, mimicking and, and you learn things as you go, but you can... Uh, e- it's something that so um, saturates our life, and we don't really realize how much we already do it. Um, uh, parenting, note, you know, the, uh, back in the day it was this idea of you could tell your kids, do as, do as I say, not as I do. But the, uh, the exact opposite is, uh, is the case. And, uh, at a leadership day we were at a couple weeks ago, Laura Bush, the um, uh, wife of the ex-president Bush, she said this. She said, um, children and those you lead may not listen well, but they will imitate. I think you just shared it probably better than anyone could this morning of what it looks like to have someone who's lived out an example that their children and grandchildren and probably great-grandchildren are going to imitate. You know, a living example of that is just what it says in words here. They may not listen well, but they will imitate. So they said this, you know, as a parent, be the type of parent you want your child to, to become. If there's ever any um, instruction for us as parents or as leaders, it was this idea, be the type of person that you want, you know, um, your people to become. Be a leader worth following. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul said this way. To, this, to, the, to the Ephesians, he said, be imitators of God as dear children. He took it one step farther with Corinthians and just said, hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That I'm taking the responsibility of being a good example of what that looks like. And as I realized that, all that takes is just being a, a, a good disciple, a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. I as well, I'm very grateful for my parents. Um, I, I'm grateful for the way, you know, that they modeled a, a life that, you know, wasn't perfect, but a genuine, you know, uh, following of Jesus Christ and that he was real. There was never this idea of this is a part of our life. This, this is our life. It affects every part of our life. So, you know, as teens... Uh, if you're here this, and you're awake and you're listening, I want to give you something this morning. Um, thank your parents now for what they're doing right. Thank your parents for the things that they're doing that are good in your life. Think, why? You know, that, there isn't any. I can promise you there's at least a couple. And what we don't realize is we often teach parents how to raise their kids. We don't teach teens well enough how to raise your parents. Do you know what? If you, yeah, there we go. If you, <laughs> if, if you, would, if you would thank them do you know the same idea of, of encouragement um, only encourages good behavior? So with your parents, when they're doing the things that are encouraging you, which are giving you life, to thank them for that, it's honoring them. But as we realize in the Bible, honor goes both ways. Jesus talked about honoring children. There was this idea of this whole, this whole culture of honor. And I would encourage you just to do that, to, to thank them for it. Don't focus on all the stuff that your parents do that drives you nuts. Because there's that thought of, you know, uh, modeling something and, and thanking them and encouraging them. Why? Because it, it causes you to realize and recognize the, the placement that God's put uh, them in your life, but also gives you the chance to, to emulate that. And God's saying that same idea for us as kids. How? He says, be an imitator of God as his dear children. Well, how do you imitate God? 
Some of you are like, yeah, that's my question. You know, I haven't seen God lately. You know, how do I, I've seen my parents. I can shave. I can wheel a wheelbarrow. But how do I imitate God? What am I going to do? Okay, today I'm going to create a galaxy, you know, or uh, I'll create an iPhone or I'll create something, right? I'm going to, you know, out of nothing. And we're like, yeah, that's just not happening. How do we actually do what God does? How do we live like God lives? How can we possibly imitate God? Because if he said, hey, this is what I want you to do, how do we do it? it give, he gives us a great example in verse 2 of how to imitate him because he shows us who he is. You know, if I saw God on the planet, then maybe I could imitate him. Well, he says, no problem. I'll show you what it looks like when God walks on the planet. Ephesians 5 verse 2, it says, and walk in love. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us and offering a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Do you realize that Jesus was God in a bod? He was the guy who walked on this planet and was God in the flesh. That's what God looks like. When you say, you know, how, how do you handle relationships? How do you handle your parents, you know, when you're running away from home at 12 and they come looking for you? What do you say to them? Hey, you shouldn't have worried about me. I was being about my father's business, right? Like, you can try that next time. But, you know, Jesus, there was, these, there was this idea of how he handled relationships, how he handled things with his parents, how he handled things with his friends. And last week we talked about the idea of, of uh, watching your walk. Be aware of this walk uh, which he's um, with God. And Paul, he, in the next 20 verses, gets real specific about that. He kind of brought it up in the last, last week's message, but we're not doing all 20 today, but he says three things. He's like this, when you walk, this is what it looks like. It's not like a Gentile, but it's this. this walk in love, walk in light, and walk in wisdom. Walk in these three things. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you ever get a chance just to read slowly through the Gospels, it's where I've just been, you know, doing my devotions and reading through and then reading through that chapter again and just tying it back to the last one. You know what I realized about Jesus? He didn't have a formula of how he dealt with people at all. He, he just didn't. He didn't have, this is how I handle the Pharisees. You know, every time I see a Pharisee, we're arguing because we're polar opposites. You know, or every time, you know, I see hungry people, I'm just going to feed them all. He, he, you know, or every time I'm, you know, I'm in a boat, I'm going to say, cast the nets over and we're going to just haul in a whole load of fish. He just never did things the same. Do you realize even as he healed people, it was never the same? So many different times and different ways that Jesus did things just because he was simply following um, a Holy Spirit's direction in his life. But this is a, a thought in John chapter 1, verse 17. If you make it to the fourth gospel or maybe you start there, um, he said that Jesus was grace and truth in a person personify grace all grace all truth see as churches and as believers sometimes we want to be we tend to be one or the other a lot of times we get that idea of all grace you know everything's all okay or we're all truth and you know what you tend to get into that place of being a little bit um, hypocritical because you can't live up to it but you definitely want you definitely want others to know what the truth is and 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 you find that in their lives it's like when when we're talking about you you want it to be about grace but when we're talking about them we want it to be all about truth and jesus was saying too uh in his life he just walked out and dealt with different things sometimes with pharisees he dealt with truth and he'd deal with their lives and he'd mess with them uh, other times he would deal with them in grace when you see um uh, nicodemus who came to talk to him he dealt with him in a whole different way you know you see the woman at the at the well he dealt with her in a way of grace and, uh, you know, he's dealt with a tax collector, a guy who had problems with money, was Matthew, yet he dealt with him in grace and brought him onto the team. And yet when a, when a rich young ruler came and said, Jesus, I want to follow you and be on your team, he said, well, hey, the truth part of it is that you've got a God that's more important to you than me, and that's money. So he, every situation was situational. Every person was, it was individual. And he lived out this life of love through grace and truth, but it was always in love. 
And, you know, as children learn to walk, it's that same idea for us. When he says walk in love, it's this idea of you can learn to walk in love. And the, that word walk, is, it's this idea of commanded to keep on walking in it. You know, we don't celebrate our children when they walk and be like, yeah, my kid walked one day, and then that was it. And, you know, now I carry him around. He's 18, but here he is, you know. Uh, it, it, we, we don't celebrate that. Um, but sometimes in Christian circles, that's how, we, that's how we see it as a follower of Jesus Christ. I made a decision to follow Christ one time. It was at like a camp, or it was at a concert, or it was somewhere, but it was somewhere way back there. I, I did it once. But he's saying this isn't about this idea of I did it once, this idea of I'm walking this out every day. That my life is different because of that. When he talks about being a disciple, he talks about this idea of if it's a daily thing. And, and it says that Jesus walked it out. It says the amazing thing, it says Jesus loved us and gave himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. You're like, what is that all about? What's this idea of sweet-smelling aroma? The sacrifice and offering are a sweet-smelling aroma. Well, sweet-smelling aroma, it's this idea of smell. Um, do you realize that we spend billions of dollars on stuff that smells nice every year? Billions! You women, American women, $4.2 billion you spent last year just on perfume alone. Fellas, it was probably you who spent the $1.72 billion on air fresheners, uh, you know, just to kind of cover up all that, you know, those whatever, those clothes that, you know, guys smell clothes to see if they're clean. There's different things are different to um, different people, the smells. Um, you know, maybe today, you know, your smell of choice is Axe, you know, body spray, or maybe you're Chanel number five because you're sophisticated. But, you know, th- there's different things that smell um, good to different people. There's a difference between men and women. You know, women, you give them a bouquet of flowers and they just smell, oh, it smells like heaven. It smells like he loves me. You know, you give that same bouquet to a guy, it smells like 50 bucks. You know, it's uh, it, different things smell, smell good to different people. And um, Paul brings us up, this idea of a sweet-smelling aroma, and what he's actually referencing is worship in the Old Testament, the idea of sacrifice and offering in the Old Testament. And under that covenant, under that deal, every year back uh, in the Old Testament, they would have to offer a sheep um, that, was, that, that sheep was killed in your place. So if we were still doing that, then once a year, we'd have a, a thing here where we're killing sheep and burning them, and the smoke would rise up and be like, that's just kind of strange. It's kind of weird until you realize that what's happening is that God is accepting that sacrifice instead of yours. Instead of your blood, it's that one because the wages of sin has always been death. It's always been, it's always required. God's holiness has required that judgment would happen, but his mercy accepts the fact that it can be a sacrifice. And so what would happen back then um, and Cain and Abel, the first two guys, um, the first two kids ever born in, in the Bible, they had this, this, uh, this idea of, the, uh, of offering a sacrifice. And Abel offered a sacrifice that God had, had asked for, the, the, the um, life of an animal. Cain offered a sacrifice of some fruit that he found. And uh, so they put this up there, and God had said, it's always got to be a life. You know, the, the sacrifice has to be a life. And what would happen is the smoke from the sacrifice, it would either go straight up to heaven or it would smolder all around on the ground. And they would know that if the smoke went up to heaven, it was an accepted sacrifice. And when it didn't, it wasn't. And God, you know, I believe he just worked out those things so that it would happen um, that way. But there was this idea of the sweet-smelling sacrifice. As the smoke rose, they knew that was a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Why? Because he didn't have to bring judgment on a person he loved. Because he still loved them. 
He just, his holiness, his righteousness would say that he had to bring judgment on sin. And that sweet-smelling aroma is, oh man, I don't have to bring judgment. And Paul's saying this idea that walk like Jesus did. Be an imitator of him because that's like a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Last week in kids' church, maybe your kids told you, um, in, uh, in, in their early lesson, um, Beth had, uh, had some chocolate chip cookies that were baking in the classroom. So when the kids came in, they're like, wow, that smells like chocolate chip cookies. And she was like, oh, well, that's nice. But here, we're going to talk about this this morning. We're going to talk about worship. And she begins to talk about worship. And the kids are like, there's chocolate chip cookies somewhere. And, and even before the class started, kids were sticking their heads in, there's chocolate chip cookies in here. And she says, you know, so we're talking about worship this morning. Come on, kids, just focus on, on what we're doing. Finally, some of the kids are like, that's it. We know there's chocolate chip cookies here, and we're going to find them. And they take off looking throughout the room. And sure enough, they find a little oven cooking chocolate chip cookies. They're like, we told you. We saw it. We new. And she says, that's exactly what it's like with God. As you worship him, as you praise, as you, as you live your life out and walk in love, it's like this sweet smelling aroma that God's like, I know it's around here somewhere. Man, I know those people. I, know, I, can, I can just feel, I want to be right where they are. Back in the Old Testament, God was in a separate place, and, and there was this idea of they came together. But in, in the New Testament, he lives within you. And as a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you know those moments where it's like, oh yeah, we are in the same place. Worshiping God, it's like, yes, I know that I know that, that, that him and I, we're together. It's that idea of um, him being enthroned in the praises of his people, this idea of the sweet-smelling aroma. It's this idea of walking in love. And why does Paul say it? Because he's actually contrasting the worship that the Ephesian church was used to at that time. It says this, verse 3, but fornication, well, it's because it's but still one sentence. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication, um, which is uh, any, well, the, back then it was um, sex outside of, uh, outside of marriage, anything premarital sex, or, but he says it all kind of is under one thing. Any kind of sex is outside of a husband and wife. He says this, fornication, all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, which are like obscene jokes, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. And so what's Paul saying? Why is he bringing this up? Why does he say the sweet aroma and then he starts talking about sex? This is kind of strange and weird, but he says this that to the Ephesian church, and here's where it gets real specific to them, is he says to the Ephesian church that in, in the town of Ephesus, they had this massive temple, which looks like this. It was to the, to the goddess um, Artemis and Diana, and they were the, um, the goddess of, of fertility. And so everything that happened with this uh, worship, the people would come here, and there would be prostitutes waiting for them. They, that was the whole idea. You know, the, they, the, the church was full of prostitutes, and when, the, when they came to worship, they would have to basically cheat on their wife to worship this deity and, and bring, you know, hopefully bring fertility into the life. It was a goddess of greed that you can just have whatever you want. Whatever feels good is good, and that's all yours. You know, I, I, I mean, that's, I guess, one way to build a church. Uh, but we, we're not doing that. So, um, but the, the, the idea of this, and some of you think, man, that's just crazy. We'd, of course we'd never do that. But if you think about it, that's what was happening in the culture they were around. So these people of Ephesus, they hadn't worshipped the, um, the living God, but they had been accustomed to worship. And the worship was all around this idea of love, but it was lust-based. It was completely off. And Paul said, this idea of, of walking in love as Christ, the sweet-smelling aroma to him, doesn't look anything like this. It doesn't look anything like what, you, what you're used to when he says this. The kind of love I'm, not talk, I'm talking about doesn't look like that. Let that kind of stuff not even be named among you. It doesn't mean you can't say the word fornication. It's, it's, a, it's not saying, hey, don't even say those words. What he's saying, it, it, the, the, the way that wording is said is that if it's happening, stop it. 
Because in that church, it was happening. And so they said, stop it. That's not, it's not fitting. Remember last week, we talked about what you wear. We talked about your clothes. You know, that you can choose the, the clothing of thankfulness. You can choose the clothing of, of, of a whole bunch of different things. The clothing of love. Paul uses the word fitting again. He uses this idea of, of the word fitting twice and realizing, saying, hey guys, that's not, those clothes don't fit us well. This idea of living that out, but then in verse four, he says, it's also not just about your actions, but about your tongue. You know, if you live in a dirty culture, you got dirty language. You know, when I, I worked for a couple days in a factory back in the day, I realized that wasn't for me. Um, I, I was building car parts, the hinges for um, Toyota. Way back, I think the recalls probably have something to do with me. But um, back then, it was like you just push these buttons and boom, something clamps down and there's a, there's a hinge and whatever else. But I learned something in the factory in those few days I was there. One is that most of them spoke fluent English and all of them spoke fluent factory. They all had the uh, four-letter words just down, right? They, that, that language was something that was always going around. And in this, this um, what Paul's saying to them, he's saying, hey, that's not fitting of us. That's not our style. That's not the clothing that we wear. It doesn't look like that in this idea of worship to him, but what is it? It's this idea of thankfulness. Thanksgiving. The language we speak is thanksgiving. As we went around today, the language is like that. I got a new lawnmower. Yeah, you know what? That person's awesome. They gave me a lawn and a weed whacker, whatever it was. They, you know, this is like this idea of, you know what? Gratitude thankfulness. That's something we take for granted so often is the things we have to be thankful for. You know when he says this idea of our speech is about thankfulness? It, it's the exact opposite of a whole bunch of things. Complaining? Not really room for that with us. It's not our style. Oh, you know, my life sucks. God's got you in a place and he's walking through it with you to the, realize, you know what? It doesn't matter what you're going through. If you've got him, you have everything to be thankful for. You just don't realize it yet. And all you do when you look at the stuff that's going wrong in your life is you give it power in your life. The negative stuff becomes the stuff that has strength in your life. And it says in this, Galatians 5, verse 5 to 7, we're just going to use these three verses and that's it today. For this you know, and he repeats the same words he had just said, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So he said, hey, this is not, the, not what it is. But he says, you guys know this already. This isn't something brand new. It's not a secret like the false teachers taught. He says, but this is that, that, none of, that a person like that has no inheritance in the, uh, in the kingdom of Christ and God. And let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, don't even be partakers with them. Paul's saying this, you already know that. And he, what, he uses three words, uh, and what he's actually talking about, he's talking about the false teachers of their day. He's talking about the, the, the teachers then who said, hey, you can live any way you want to, and it's okay. But he says those people who say those things, they don't have any inheritance in the, in the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? What is, that, what is that all about? Because, you know, back then that was something that was kind of misunderstood, and today I believe it is as well. We pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done when we talk about the idea of his kingdom coming on this planet, what does that look like? The Jewish people thought when Jesus came, when the Messiah came, he's going to be this military leader. He was going to be like, yep, that's it. He's going to be Braveheart, you know, part one. And he's going to like take out the Romans and he's going to rescue them and save them. And then he shows up. And all this stuff is not, not talking about, you know what, yeah, go out and fight and be strong. And, you know, the, whoever's got the most uh, might, they're right. That's the way it was back then. But Jesus totally changed everything. He says, no, you know, we honor children, which they never did. We honor women, which they never did. We, we um, you know, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the pure in heart. But the, the ideas of the fruit of the Spirit are like things like gentleness and self-control. They didn't have any of that back then. They didn't live life like that. Those people were nobodies. 
So it's why uh, one of the big reasons the Jewish people rejected the Messiah was that this kingdom didn't look like something they wanted. They didn't recognize that that kingdom had started, but I want to tell you that that kingdom started. That kingdom started back then, and what was it that a king would rule in a heart of, of man? That that's genuinely what the kingdom of God looks like. When he says, hey, you're, you have an inheritance in the kingdom, it's this idea that he reigns in your heart. That Christ reigns in you. What does that mean? When a king reigns, what he says goes. So as, you know, when you live in a country and you've got, you know, a, a king, it's this idea of, okay, I want to know what the king wants and that's what I'm doing. And the same idea as he says this, that the king reigns in our hearts. It was this, it was this thought that that kingdom was completely different than outward. It was this thing of being inward. And it was this, this thought that it was already, but not yet. The kingdom is already, it's already started, but it's not yet complete. It's not fully uh, to the level that it's going to be in our lives. And this is a lot of times where we have trouble and struggle with this idea of the kingdom is because we think, you know, that, that it's completely and fully on the planet now. It isn't. It isn't. You know, it's not like everyone's getting, get, getting healed because the kingdom of God is here right now and everything is happening. It's all happening. Ephesians says this. Ephesians says you already have every spiritual blessing in Christ, right? It's, it is already. It's starting you, but it's not yet. We don't always see the full extent of it. And sometimes people, it just messes with them because they can't figure out why things, you know, go wrong. If, if it was supposed to be this in your word, he's saying, guess what? The kingdom started in you. And he compares it to things like uh, a mustard seed where it starts small, but it grows. And it's growing and it's growing. It's this idea of yeast that starts small in, in a thing, but it affects everything. So it starts small in your life. It's already there. And it's, its goal is to affect everything in your life, but, but it's not there yet. The, the idea is that it will, but not yet. Here's the thing. Why? Because it, it hinges on something. It hinges on Christ's return. When his return comes back, the kingdom is fulfilled at that point. So we're in somewhere in that process. So here's what it looks like. We have eternal life, right? But we live in dying bodies. Why? Because it's already, but not yet. You know, we're free from sin, like Brian said this morning. We are free. Why in Christ? Because it's already in Christ, but some still struggle. Yeah, so it's not yet. We're free from the power of sin because of what Jesus did, but we're not free from the presence of it yet. In heaven, gone. In heaven, no sickness. All that stuff, when Jesus returns, the kingdom will be fully, fully set. But we're somewhere in the between. So yeah, depending on where things are and where you are in that, you can see healings. You can see some of those things happen because it is already happening in us. But the idea to realize it's a tension. There's already and not yet. And Paul's saying to them, he says, listen, there's no inheritance. If you're living a life where sexual immorality is happening in your life, there is zero inheritance. There's none of that God being king in your life. Sex is the king. And he says this, don't be deceived because you cannot have it both ways. He's saying something really, really important to them, but I, I believe it really, really matters to us. Because there's a lot of people who would say that, yeah, you can have it both ways and it's okay. You can, you can sleep with your boyfriend and girlfriend as long as you, you know, show up in church on Sunday. That's okay, because God loves you and there's grace for that. Paul's saying there's not an inheritance there. Paul would say the same thought that, you know what, yeah, you can live all week with money being your God, that the whole pursuit of your life is how much you can make and greed and just a little bit more for you. There's nothing wrong with making tons of money, because guess what? He wants to use that to bless the world. The Bible also says that money is the answer to every problem. But it's this idea that it's not all supposed to be spent on you. Why? Because then either money's God or you're God. And he says, you know what? This idea of, of kingdom in our hearts is that he's God. He's God in our hearts. And so it was this, this incredibly important thing, but he says, don't be fooled. Why? Because the religious leaders of the day, the people around Ephesus, the false teachers, they were living these things out. 
for them, their worship was, it can be both ways. The, the, it can be this idea of what Diana had plus this idea. And he says, don't, don't, don't get it mixed. Don't get it mixed that these two things go together because it doesn't happen. It's this idea of God reigning in your heart right now. Why is it? It's why we said at the beginning, it started on one day, but it's working its way out. Paul said it to the Philippian church, keep working out your salvation. Keep walking it out because it's already, but it's not yet. Paul isn't saying in the end that we shouldn't hang out with people like that. I want to close with this thought. He's not saying that you need to hang, or you can't hang out with people who, you know, are, are you know, if they're sleeping with their boyfriend, oh, you know, that's half my high school. Well, I'm not hanging out with them no more because I am, you know, holy. He doesn't say that at all. He just, he just says that the, the idea, if you look at the Word of God, it says real, real carefully about be wise about who you choose as friends. You know, even now we know that in leadership teaching that the five people who are closest in your life have the most influence in your life, and you will become the sum of those five people. You will. Oh, not me. You know, I'm different. Just watch. You watch people long enough, they become like who they hang out with. The Bible knew it a long time ago. Paul says it to them too. It's this idea of hang out with people because how else are they going to know about Jesus Christ? How else are they going to know about his amazing good news? How else are they going to know about his love? How else are they going to know about any of that kind of stuff if we don't spend time with them? But he says the people who have influence in your life, the teachers, whoever it's going to be, make sure that, that those are the people you hang out with, that those are the people that, that model this life of living what Jesus, what those clothes look like. We're not going to get there today, but next week we're talking just about being walking in the light. We use an illustration of a candle. Do you realize that a candle is just a candle until it's lit? But it's still a candle when it's lit. It just has something that's happened to it. Same idea with you. It's the idea of allowing Holy Spirit to shine uh, in your life, to just carry that with, with you wherever you go. Um, it's this idea of just being, being a light. And so Paul said it to them. He says, keep walking out in love. As you walk out this life in love, it creates this, this incredible sweet-smelling aroma of worship to God. Not what we, just what we sing, but how we live. So my question for you this morning is, how do you smell? I asked that last night, and the teenagers like, and they're smelling each other, right? And they're like, sure, unsure. But my, my question for you is that, when he says here, this is the way we walk, what is your walking in love looking like? Is it saying, you know what, God, I just want to know you more? And I ask that very, I don't ask that in a way of saying, hey, what do you guys think? I asked that to myself this morning as well. What does it look like for me? Is my life this pursuit of him? Or is it become routine? Is any of that stuff happening? So this morning, it was just so great to again be encouraged to say, you know what, God, <laughs> it's all about you, Dad. It's all about you. So my encouragement for you today is this isn't a list of rules, not do's and don'ts. Paul never talked about that. It's this idea of just get your eyes back on Jesus. Keep them on him all the time. This pursuit of, yeah, God, it's all about you, Dad, that every day it's like, Dad, pick me up. Let's see where we're going. And that's still in your job, still wherever it is, but that idea of you and him together. Can we pray? Father, thank you for your word. Dad, thank you that you've preserved it all these years so that we can read it today. <laughs> thank you that it still has the same life-changing power it did then that can change our lives today and now. God, I pray that as we leave this place that this would just go into action, that as every person goes with you, that that would just, uh, and walks out life with you as they live their life in worship to you, that it would be a sweet-smelling aroma in this whole county, that, that people would also see and go, wow, there's something about you, Jesus, that you would be glorified and, and, and exalted. Uh, in and through our lives. Pray your blessing over every family here. Pray your hope and your love and your peace and your joy to flood their homes as they walk it with you. God, I pray your protection over them as well. They shine bright for you this week. In your name I pray. Amen.